2: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Preps. Spencer Israel here with Joel Elkanen and Dennis Dick on today's show. We are talking about uh, a little bit by the dip this morning, a little by the dip in the cruise lines who are weak after Norwegian extended their, their suspensions. Yesterday, we talk about DraftKings, talk about Oracle, uh, talk about some stocks that we uh, that we uh, that we observed yesterday that were strong and weak, and some, what stocks we want to potentially buy and sell today. We'll also discuss the uh, strategy of trading off of unusual options activity and uh, how that can and can't work. Uh, our guest is uh, Michelle miesch Schneider. She's the director of trading education and research at Market Gauge. She would join the show at eight thirty-five. Uh, Joel, why don't we bring you on here and give us a quick update here on what has happened in the overnight session. Uh, good
3: morning, Spencer. Good morning, uh, traders and investors. I, I want to say around the world, I saw a tweet yesterday about a gentleman in London uh, that listens to us, and he's going to tell more of his buddies in London. Shout out to all of you overseas tuning in for the most up to date market action. Uh, we're trading up 10 and three quarters handles here at 29 and a quarter. We just had a little drop. I'm not sure what that was attributed to. Uh, weakness early in the uh, after hours trading off the Norwegian cruise line news dipped under thirty-one hundred thirty ninety-six fifty. 30,96.50. The buy the dippers came in, took us up to thirty one forty seven, and now we're backing off there. Uh, two days before the triple win, so you're getting some uh, a little bit of two sided action here. Uh, crude in the red by sixty one cents at thirty seven seventy seven. Gold down eleven ninety at $17. $17.70, A lot of sevens in there. Uh, silver in the red by a little over a penny at seventeen sixty four. Bitcoin. That's down twenty five dollars at nine thousand five hundred and five. Triple D, that uh that little break there. Um, mm-hmm. nothing. I mean, we make a big deal out of five, six, seven, yeah, eight we're just bouncing break.
4: around. Yeah, this, we are. This session, you could have called this show Chop Fest, Spencer, because last night they were chopping the stocks around. Um, we were we were trading actually not bad until that Norwegian headline uh, headline hit. And that hit, I think, around 5 o'clock. Can you give us that headline, Spencer? And then we're going to break down all the action. I can do that. Norwegian announced they are extending the
2: suspensions of their, uh, their cruise lines to at least October. They also canceled a few, a few cruises set to depart in October. Uh, but they are extending, I think they were, I think they were set to, the suspensions were set to expire as it stood in like August or September. And they have pushed it back to at least October.
4: And that headline brought Norwegian down. You can see the free fall, bring up the after hours chart. As soon as that headline hit, they started hitting it and they were relentless. And it did get overdone. I know Portnoy even tweeted that he was buying the dip. Um, It got a little bit ridiculously overdone. I thought about buying the dip. I just didn't have the guts to do it. Um, It went down to 20, then 19. Then it went under 18, about 20 minutes after the headline. Then they started to find, you know, and say, hey, you know, this isn't completely unexpected that they would, you know, extend this. I mean, COVID hasn't gone away. So I think, you know, just from that perspective, it it was a little bit overdone last night when it got down under 18. So it's bounced back. It's still trading down 9% on the headline, but it took everything with it. So obviously the other cruise lines down in sympathy, especially last night. They've all bounced back substantially with the overall market, but some still trading in the red. RCL is down 4% here this morning. You can bring up CCL, which obviously trades as an ADR, so you already know where the price is. It's down 4.4% as well. But then they started hitting the airlines. They started hitting everything. So they started hitting Boeing last night. They started hitting all the airline stocks. Bring up the after-hours chart of Boeing. Boeing right after the bell trades up over $200. Then it leaks it. Then this Norwegian headline comes out. Then they decide they don't want anything to do with travel or, or tourism or entertainment whatsoever, They hit all those stocks. So Boeing after hours last night, if you show that chart, I believe it got under 190 bucks. I did buy the dip on Boeing. I've already sold it here so I can freely talk about it, Um, but just got overdone. So, and I was obviously hedging as well. I'm not just naked buying Boeing. I was hedging with other stuff, but it's back up. It's come back a bit. Norwegian was the catalyst for the sell-off in all these stocks.
3: Yeah, I'm taking a look. uh, We'll just go with the headline stock, and that's Norwegian. I mean, just big red bars there. They pounded it. If you were paying attention to the two-day low, or yes, uh, yeah, two-day low, 1817, and where'd you get to? Not much below that. You got, yeah, you did, 1787, so you definitely took some heat there. Uh, rebounded got a quick print up to 20 just in 1999 now settled in. let's look at this in relation to yesterday's range. you need to get to 2011 and uh, that's where the bounce took to to fill uh, to fill the gap here. I mean this is I mean this is not good news. I mean, I mean, they're losing a lot of money, and yeah. they're going to continue to lose a lot of well, money.
4: let's put it in perspective. Do you think sure. this was told, This should, This – wouldn't this be expected to a certain extent? I mean, we're no seeing Dennis, cases No, rise.
3: no it, it, the crisis is over. People are going
4: be... <laughs> to So People... this is all new information, the extension. So let's knock another 15% off the price in Norwegian last night because exactly. the crisis is supposedly over. It's not over. And we know it's not over. I'm just shocked that they hit it that hard because I would have thought that some of this would have, you know, that that it's not completely out of the blue that they would extend this. I mean, they've extended it multiple times already. So I I don't know. I guess people were hopeful they were going to be cruising sooner than and obviously not the case. Surprised they
3: brought it back. Norwegian
4: was on CNBC though, and I believe he was on Mad Money about a month ago saying they got enough money to go for a year. So if they don't even cruise for the next year, they're solvent is what they were saying. I don't know how truth that is. I haven't looked into the financials of Norwegian myself, but that's what the CEO was saying on on Mad Money about a month ago, that they don't need to cruise for a year and they are completely solvent and fine. So I guess, you know, (laughs) it might might be a year before they start getting these ships, but there's an exception. I, I can't talk. There's an exception to the rule here? Spencer? Okay there, Dennis? Uh, oh yeah, I'm not sure what Dennis is referring to. Yeah, I'm not no, sure. No, I'm referring to that you said that some cruises are still gonna be. Alive. Oh,
2: oh, oh, oh yeah. The uh, I think they said that the, the cruise the cruises going from Seattle to Alaska uh, in in October are, are still
4: good to go. But that's an awesome cruise. Joel I, did that one, didn't he? I
2: did that.
3: Absolutely a must do. Yep. Yep, I'm so glad. So I they're did that. they're gonna
4: allow that one. It's pretty cold up there. They figure, I guess. I mean, maybe there's not as many COVID cases. I don't know why that's the exception here. But um, thoughts here: buy the dip. <laughs> Work last night. Buy the dip and sell the rip on everything. So just talk overall market. Don't even worry about the stock. Yesterday, the last two days. Let's put this in perspective. The last two days on the SPY, we open down. 1,000 Dow points or whatever we were going to open down in the pre-market, but then they started bouncing it even before we opened. We opened basically at the lows on Monday. Basically right at the lows on Monday. Where did we open yesterday? Right at the exact high on SPY. It opened at the high tick. If you shorted the open on SPY, you took zero heat. What happened? We came right down. So this is just classic. Buy the dip. Sell the rip. It continues to work. We're going to continue to preach it at you because it continues to work. Like I said on the show yesterday, if you're buying this open, you are doing it backwards. That's what I was saying yesterday. What happened? If you showed the open and I was selling everything I could possibly on that open, you're immediately rewarded immediately rewarded and the stocks obviously you know maybe they didn't like what Powell was saying there were some cases that came out florida cases were higher and we had that tank around 11 o'clock but regardless the fade trade has been the way to play this market for the last two months yes we've had a little uptrend in the last couple months yes the buy the dip has been better but selling the rip has worked as well because there's been a lot of pullbacks to get the hell out even when you've been wrong about you know potentially buying you know buying the dip, selling the rip just has worked uh, right. And, uh,
3: boy, well, you had that intraday, uh, volatility yesterday. Uh, you had, I mean, you could blame it on Powell or you can blame it out of the, uh, the cases out of, uh, Texas and Florida. Uh, but you had, you had one hell of a sell off. And I believe this is around 11, and boom, they came back. They bought the dip. Almost got to the pre market low yesterday. I mean, a couple more ticks, and you would have touched that pre market low. A lot of pockets I was watching this also you know yesterday afternoon in between like thirty thirty one ten and thirty one let's call it between um thirty one hundred and thirty one and a quarter it was just an absolute chop fast um, going into uh, expiration so keeping an eye the interday high from yesterday we got we got taken out the high from yesterday should be a good level thirty one fifty six and a quarter. And then I just got a brick wall here at thirty one seventy five, and a couple different reasons for that. Uh, but you know, it's um, it's the Fed versus the fire uh, virus, and and right now um, the Fed is is kicking butt. So- well, the
4: Fed has been kicking butt for a long time, and we know when the market goes down, the Fed's going to have its back. So I'm just going to keep trading the same way I've been trading. Um, you know, like yesterday, I picked up Coals on the dip on Monday, I sold it into the rip on Tuesday. It went up fifteen percent in 24 hours it was like okay time to book the profits held on to the general electric um i sold a bunch of other ones too i sold my ups out of my swing trade portfolio because did you see that the bar it was a ridiculous move two-day move ups was down at 99 on monday and i sold it 108 that's a big move for ups it just felt like it went from the bottom of the range to the top of the range for the last two weeks i was like i have to sell this top of the range because it's what's been working so um lots of opportunities there for traders here it's a trading environment you can't get a better environment like I've been talking about you know these last four months are my so March pretty give you some perspective I've been trading for 20 years the best months I've ever had were in the financial crisis because I do inefficiency trading and you have some wild trading so 2007 2008 2009 were always my best years Again, I'm going back though, to those years to find months like this. So March, April, May, and so far June, I believe are my four best months in 10 years consecutively. Why? Because the VIX is higher. There's more opportunity, there's more trading opportunities, stuff's moving around. So VIX goes up, I make more money simply because the moves are bigger. When you're trading inefficiencies, and what I mean by inefficiencies is relationship-based trading, which is what I've always talked about. Like looking at, you know stocks and trading them versus each other you know simplistic example the airlines they all kind of move together so you see you know even last night with the with the, with the cruise lines you see Norwegian take a hit you can be quick you can maybe get RCL or, or you can maybe get Cuk or CCL both same stock on the short or if you miss that then you move into the airlines because they've all been tracking together and there was a lag there last night and there's opportunities there but you got to be quick so, and you've got to be, you know, on the headlines, like I've traded headlines for years, but, you know, even, you know, there's opportunities within the banks, you know, trading the banks versus, versus each other. There's lots correlated. of different opportunities if you understand the relationships. The, pro- the reason I make money trading relationships is because 99.9% of the population, one, doesn't take the time to understand the relationships, two, doesn't care about the relationships, but if there is a hard relationship there, like a pretty good you know correlation between two stocks, and people just you know indiscriminately sell one stock, um, you know but they're buying the other stock and there may just be random buyers in there because they like the balance sheet or they like the chart, um, that's going to be where I make my money is from those people who aren't respecting those relationships. So market is all about relationships. The one I trade every single day is TLT versus the banks. so I'll give you a very simplistic one TLT. In the red, banks usually in the green. Today, TLT is barely down, banks are barely up. But if you see the TLT just start to puke, you will see the banks start to rally. Fundamental relationship, obviously, that's related to interest rates for the banks. But you know, just understanding that simplistic relationship can make you money because maybe you're coming in at five o'clock in the morning, or maybe you're coming in at seven o'clock at night and saying, I wanna buy Citigroup, I think it's going up tomorrow. Well, if the TLT is trading higher, and you're buying Citigroup. You aren't respecting the relationship and you're probably going to lose money on that. So understanding those little things. If you're trading in the banks, you need to understand these relationships. If you're investing long-term, maybe you don't care about the little fluctuations. I make my money trading the fluctuations. Hey,
3: Dennis, could you just uh, go over, I mean, we talk about, you know, you talk about a lot of your trades, a lot of winners and a lot of losers. Could you just just outline your Lily trade from yesterday? Because I think it, sure. you know, p- people can learn more from, from a losing uh, trade. Yeah, from a losing trade and they can a, a winning trade. And actually, I looked at this afterwards and there was not only one good drug news, but they basically came out with three different things. I didn't know that. Yeah. But uh, not not reading
4: enough of the Benzinger pro headlines. Yeah, we
3: won't blame Spencer for that. New all-time
4: highs on Lilly yesterday. Yesterday on the show, I said I'd be, it was trading at 154. I said I would be selling Lilly um, if I owned it. And I decided I'm going to short the open. So I short the open on Lilly. I think I get filled. I got to bring up the chart. 156, right around 156, maybe 156.10. It hangs out there and kind of comes in a little bit. You can see the dip down to 155. I'm like, okay, this is going to come in. As soon as it went green, as soon as it started to find buyers and started to go green again, back up, you know, it's what I mean is as soon as it started to come back up through the opening price at 156, I knew I was on the wrong side of the trade. I'm like, I want to see when I am shorting a rocket ship, I need to see immediate gratification at the open. I don't want to see follow through. I don't want to see it, you know, all of a sudden and continue to blast off because it's hard to control the risk. So I had my opening price. I got short. I'm up in it for a little bit because the stock opened, kind of chopped around a little bit, but then you can see it leaked down to 155. So as soon as it starts coming back up though, and you're not seeing, and you're seeing, seeing buyers re-emerge, and then it starts going through that opening price, that's your time to hit the exit button. So I took it for actually almost a, a identical scratch from where I opened it. And I, and I moved on. So I decided that, you know, I'm not liking the trading action on this. It's not having follow-through sellers coming after the open. So I need to cover my short. So here I take the wrong side of the trade, completely dead wrong, but I don't lose money. And why don't I lose money? Because I have the discipline. And second, I have the tape reading skills to realize I don't like this. This is a bad feeling here. And that's just 20 years of experience reading the tape. But, you know, again, simplistic. Stock has an opening price, 156 comes down, you're short. It comes down a little bit. Okay. It's in the money comes back up and starts to go through the opening price. Often that means it's going to end up being a big loser for you. So get covered if it comes back up through that opening price. So just, you know, and that's something you taught me back in 1999, Joel, that open is so important. We talk about it on the show all the time. So I saved myself a pile of money by not staying short that stock, just because I had the quick realization that I'm on the wrong side of the trade.
3: Okay, and before I'm going a little offbeat here, but and this is going to be a surprise to Spencer and Dennis. Uh, but let's do, I think we got some Robinhood traders coming into our chat. And so let's start a segment, the Robinhood stock of the day. And um, oh, sure. I'm that gonna, sounds like fun. I like I'm gonna, I, And this is one, Dennis. I know you're going to immediately want to hop in and start trading this stock. It's called Urban One, and it's U O N E.
4: I saw it yesterday. Yeah. It hit my scanners. I, I'm i going to tell you again, this <laughs> stuff, everybody that just starts trading and everybody, and not even even me, you're naturally attracted to this kind of stuff. It's like, I want to get rich in the stock market. This stock will make me rich. I'm going to tell you that this is the hardest stuff to trade, the absolute hardest stuff to trade. If you're good at trading it, continue to trade it. By all means, if you make money trading the wild stuff, by all means, continue to do it. But I think the people who make the money trading the wild stuff are the people who have been doing it for years and they've just got a different feel. This is not my cup of tea whatsoever. I can't control the risk on this. I won't touch it. The odd time, maybe I'll have some fun in something like this, but this is not gonna be where I make my money. I bet you if you add it up through my 20 years of trading, every time I've traded one of these, you know, wild, wild stocks. I bet you if you add up the P&L from all of those trades, I bet you I've lost money trading this wild stuff. You might as well just go to the casino and put it on red or black because this stuff could go anywhere. I mean, look at the day, daily, U-O-N-E, we're talking. The stock went from $2 two days ago to $40 yesterday. And you're like, man, that's the kind of stock I want to trade. That's the kind of stock that is very hard to trade and hard to control the risk. You're going to see wild oscillations. The thing trades with 30, 40, 50 cents spreads and it's trading crazy volume. But you know, you could say, um, you know, even trading this thing at $5, it went up to 16. Then it went back down to 10. Can you take you know, losing 30, 40% of your money in 20 minutes? If you can't stomach that, maybe this isn't the trade for you or you need to you know, decrease the size substantially so you can take it but there's going to be wild oscillations in a stock like this. Um, There's always a stock like this moving. Believe me, every single day we have a stock like this that's moving and people want to talk about this, they're naturally attracted to this. But again, this stuff is very hard to control the risk in. Me, I am a good trader because I'm risk adverse. Write that down. Gamblers do not make money in the long run trading. It's people who know how to manage risk that make money trading citadel virtue financial these are two of your high frequency trading firms that are two of the best you know firms trading firms in the world how do you think they make money by managing the risk taking low risk bets you know capturing the spread market making different types of things but they're Trained managing risk and when they're wrong they work out the systems work out of it as best as they possibly can they're not making money trading UONE. Maybe on the spreads, you know, they might be you know in there, but for the most part, they're making their money on relationships, on stuff that's more predictable, market making and big caps, stuff that they ha- can control the risk on. A stock like UONE very, very difficult to control the risk on. But we can do a technical on anything. And something, yep. something to keep in mind also, and I'll, I'll pull it up in pro so you can see, how many
2: times was this stock halted? Yeah, I
3: know. I just was looking at that, Spencer. I don't for, even for the know. the volatility
2: halts?
4: Yeah. yeah. Volatility. Yeah. How many times? Which,
2: like a dozen times it was halted.
4: Yeah. I mean, Which, again, you- is ridiculous. They need to widen the spreads. I have written to the regulators about this before and talked to, on behalf of Ray Trading, that, And I've written papers. I've written well. I've written articles on it um, with CFA magazine about the ridiculousness of the volatility circuit breakers because they need to widen them for certain stocks. They can't have these things sitting, you know, and then they halt 25 times in a day. Every every minute they're halting because they can't handle the volatility. When news hits, the bands should go wider. So, and that applies to bigger stocks too. But. It's annoying that, you know, you see the stock halt, stock halt again, stock halt again. I mean, it's just annoying.
3: Yeah, I'll just look at I mean, big old move yesterday. I mean, it hit 40 bucks, closed at 27.19. Uh, big volume one day and then it exploded. That you had to move from a buck 84 to 654. And then yesterday it absolutely exploded. Uh, it's interesting though. I mean, I'm not touching it, but first of all, I would use that close as resistance because anybody that's in it from yesterday, they're marked at the close. And anybody that bought it over 27.19 of the 45 million shares it traded is underwater. So I'm gonna use that as a potential resistance point. But I'll just say, someone likes this stock here above 21 bucks. I mean, I'm just looking at, I know it's a pretty wide range though. But uh, ever since, we did I see that 21 uh, at 17.15? Uh, uh, ever since that, what's that, quarter after five, someone's been supporting this saying 21, they stepped it up 21.50. So those are pretty wide parameters, uh, 21 to 27. You'll probably see both of those today. But it, it's being held up by someone here. So if that, like Dennis said, if that's something that you're good at trading, Go right ahead, but a lot of people stuck over that close. How many price.
4: traders? And this is, you know, one thing we've been in the day trading industry, me and Joel, for a lot of years. Joel, starting in the pits as a local, as a trader in 80, 87. When did you start? 87?
3: A little bit before that. I graduated college in 85 and I went immediately down to the Merck. So, I mean, and so you're basically
4: a day trader in the pit, is what you were. You know, you were a runner and then eventually you were a trader. You basically a day trader in the pit. So, say we are a day trader, basically. Okay.
3: Yeah. Oh, okay. Thank you.
4: So, so, we've been day trading. So, Joel's day trading basis since 1986. I've been day trading professionally since 99, uh, retail since 96. A lot of years of experience. We've been prop. So, we see traders, these are professional day traders coming in. We see traders come and go. You manage the Detroit office of Bright Trading. We know lots of other prop firms. You know, I talk to them all. We're all competitive. I, I don't know a lot of traders that have had long standing success trading this kind of stuff. On the headlines, yeah, and I trade the headlines, but just like you know, this random oscillations, it's really, really tough. So again, the traders that are successful all have one thing in common. They are disciplined. They think about how much money they can lose on the trade on how much money they can make. I have no idea. Look at UONE right now. The spread on the thing is twenty one ninety to twenty three fifteen, with a hundred shares on the offer. What the hell am I supposed to do with a hundred <laughs> shares? I mean, I'm trying to make a living here. So you know, yes, it can move around, but a hundred shares on the offer. I mean, how I'm much is on the bid? One hundred shares. It's it's a buck wide, a hundred by two hundred right now. Yeah. I need like so- I need to be able to move money in and move money out. So that's why like I like the bigger stocks. But you know, there's a lot of small players out there. Just want to you know do 100 shares, and that's fine. But you know, I'm trying to make a living at this. So you know, even if you call this thing all right, you got 100 shares, where you make 500 bucks, 900 bucks. I mean, it's tough. We're trying to make a living at this. So yeah. and and you're gonna lose that too. So I, I, if I was trading this just for fun, I would probably trade it with 100 shares because I can't control the risk. I don't want to lose 5,000 or 10,000 bucks on this thing trying to trade it with 1,000 shares or 2,000 shares. I don't even know if it's possible. It's probably really hard to get in and out of 1,000 shares of that thing. Anyways, either way, you're, you're a dollar spread. So on a $22 stock, you're already 4% underwater just to try to get in the damn. Okay, damper. with the spread, yeah. Even with the spread. So it's like 4% in to try to get in. Well, obviously, get out. it's 4 four or 5% to you know just the slippage on this thing. You can say, oh, well, I sit on the bid. And you know, I, I and I'm going to make the spread. You know, you know when you get hit on the bid is when the spread rolls right over you. You know, we've been talking about this. I've been tweeting about it the last few days. I did write a paper with Spirosoff at the CFA Institute on this on, and the spreads and talking about how it's difficult for retail and human beings, for that matter, to make the spread because they're always getting hit on the bid when the quote rolls over them because the high frequency traders are too fast. Don't kid yourself. There's HFT in here too. There's HFT in everything. But I'm just saying this isn't where they're making their money, not the big money.
3: Okay, Dennis, everyone wants to know about your uh, SPCE position here. That seems to be the – uh, Still in it? Okay. Yeah, I,
4: haven't even, I don't even look at it daily. I mean, I, my out here is like – it's kind of at that area, like this fourteen fifteen. <laughs> but I still – I just think the story is going to get hot again. You can't do evaluation on it. You can't throw your fundamental hat on this. And this isn't like a huge holding for me. It's a speculative capital, speculative. So I have it in the long-term account. I think eventually the story could get hot again. I think as SpaceX continues to grow, I think we hear more about SPCE. So I think the story could get hot again, which is why I stay long the stock. Um, I don't know when it's going to get hot, but I think this could eventually get hot and could eventually take off again. So pun intended. So I, I don't know when that's going to happen. The timing of that's very difficult. Again, if there have launches and somebody was talking about a launch, I'm not sure if Virgin Galactic is doing another launch. But you know, often there is trades ahead of these events. There'll be news, yeah. We'll Talked yep. about that before too, but this is a stock that I could lose a lot on. You know, you could it, it could go to zero. What is I mean, it less than half?
3: I, yeah, but but just like less than a half of per, one half of one percent of your portfolio. I mean, oh, right? less than that. Yeah,
4: less so- than that even. I like a like like a fraction of a percent of my portfolio. Like, like when if it I went when to I do, zero. When I do sizing on my long term portfolio, if I really like the stock, it might be two, three, four percent of my overall portfolio. If I'm like really comfortable, like MasterCard is like probably four or five percent of my overall portfolio. But that's mainly because it's just grown into it's grown that. So it's much, just taken yep. over. Like if I had never sold any MasterCard, it would have just kept taking over because I, I have so much money in the thing over the years. But this, you know, I, I, I took like a, like a quarter size of a normal position. So, you know, hypothetically, well, I'm not going to say numbers, but a quarter of a size. So, you know, if you normally buy a thousand shares, I'm buying like 200 shares of this. I'm not saying that's me. I'm just saying that's, you know, where I'm looking very, very small compared to my relative size, because the risk is a lot higher in a stock like this. I'm not going to go all in on space because all of a sudden there's a bad headline. You can see what it can do. Look back in March, it was $40 went down to eight. I mean, you lost 80% of your money in that fall in March or, or and just for March. So you gotta be very careful buying this kind of stuff. It's high risk. I'm not gonna lose all my money. You know, if you're trading Caterpillar or if you're trading, you know, some of these bigger stocks, you know, you can get a feel for, hey, there's some value somewhere, Procter & Gamble. I'm comfortable taking a huge size position in Amazon or Procter & Gamble because you know what? These are real companies and are not going to zero. We don't know. Space is speculative. But with that being said, I think the story could get hot and I'm taking a flyer on it. Uh, Dennis, what you just said, uh, you said you hadn't looked at
2: it. I I mean, you can't see me because my camera's off, but I like do the praise Jesus because uh, (laughs) uh, I'm always concerned. Are you in this?
4: Weren't you in this? No, no, no,
2: I'm not, but I'm not. But I'm always concerned about you when you say you buy something and you look at it like every day and then you get out like a week later. Like you say-
4: I'm better when I don't look at
2: them. Yeah, you're better. Everyone's better when they don't look at it. Yeah. Not you, it's everybody. So-
4: yeah. you've you de- you designated designate it longer term i mean the one thing is i like to try to control the risk still so i kind of sure. have and, and being in the markets as much you can't help but know that you own that right so you know even if i don't look at my portfolio i still know i own it i'm down in it i bought it around i think i bought it around 1590 so i'm down about 60 cents on it from here it was i was up in a bit it went up like 17 and a half but, you know, so I've kind of been all over the place in this one, but I'm sticking yeah. with
3: it. Yeah, there's no, and there's no free money shorting this thing either. I did catch it. Can you even one get a locate on? And I, I, no, 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 I did oh, it yeah, with you some can. options, yeah, you but I think I even went pretty close to the money and, you know, and I didn't go super far out. And I got a huge drop and, it, you know, I mean, I got out of it with, with a profit, but man, if you don't get out of those puts when it's going like straight down, like when you never think it's going to go up again, it bounced 50, 60 cents on you, and all that, oh, that premium uh, evaporates. But no, a lot of people are asking about that, so I just wanted to cover that. Real quick, um, a lot of people are asking about American Airlines, and I kind of have a good feel for this one, just the way it's been trading. That opened yesterday, man, percentage uh, closed at 16.70, open 18.36, went another 8 cents. And then reversed. And what what are we doing? We're we're flat today. But man, oh man, it uh, 1703 seventeen oh three, sixteen fifty five. That major sports down at fourteen. Kind of in the middle of no man's land here, isn't it? Here at seventeen bucks.
4: Follows Boeing.
3: Yeah, you. Up, that's what you said yesterday. Nine point move right from twenty three to fourteen. Four and a half. You got nowhere near nineteen and a half yet. I wanted to say this. Is that right? 14 to 23. Yeah, that's nine. Oh, 18 and a half. Holy macro. I wish I would have done that yesterday. That 50% retracement of that whole move was 1850. And you got to 1844 yesterday. So opened up into a real good level. kind uh, right the- of in
4: the middle of nowhere. I like it down to 15 on the pullbacks just because you got some support and control the risk back there. Again, if you're trading this, you gotta keep Boeing on your screen. Boeing is your leader. Boeing has started to roll over here again. Not surprising. Some of these airlines have actually turned to the red because of that. So Boeing is the leader right now it's going to change not always that way but right now people are just watching boeing for indications on trading these airlines telling you what the traders are doing all
2: right i do want to get to kroger but i I fear that might lead to a longer discussion so so i i I want to save kroger for after our guest is coming on here in a couple minutes so let's just do a couple stocks from the chat Let's, let's someone asked about apple here
4: so let's just do apple real fast Mr. will throw this one to you.
3: Yeah, up three forty one. An all time high. Yeah, is it?
4: Yeah, it is.
3: Wow. Above an all time high. Well, give me the news. News me on this. Is there any news? I, mean, I, I they mean,
2: love
4: Apple. They're, loves Apple.
2: Apple is in the crosshairs of the European regulators, so
4: that's the news. That's not bullish, but and I uh, saw their diversity uh, change. All about. bullish, Spencer. It's all <laughs> bullish. I guess it's all bullish. I don't know. It's all good news.
3: Uh, 356, that's your pre market high. Uh, and th- you got a little sneaky seller up there at 356. I wouldn't say it's anybody selling the farm or anything, but uh, that's what I would look for for, uh, for follow through because 356, I mean, right on the nose. So I don't know if there's an iceberg there, just bipping everything. Uh, but all, that's the only thing I can really give you. If you're shorting this thing and you want to get it back, 352.08 is not too bad. Uh, that was uh, that was a close from yesterday, but maybe a better target on the short side would be yesterday's high at three fifty three twenty. Uh, if you open up and you just start to just go straight up, figure out your average daily range in this one, which is pretty good. I'm uh, eyeballing it here. I'd say it's ten twelve bucks. So if you get one of these three fifty five opens and it starts climbing, climbing, climbing. Takes out three fifty six, three sixty. You could look for three sixty five, but I'm not feeling that today. I'm keeping an eye on three fifty six and Apple.
2: All right, let's bring on our guest now, Michelle Misch Schneider. She is the director of trading education and research from Market Gauge. Uh, Michelle, good morning.
1: Good morning. Can you hear me?
2: we can we can excellent bright and early with us i know it's really early where you are so
1: yes and i apologize for not wanting to go on camera but I, <laughs> i'm still waiting for my coffee drip to take effect so
2: that's okay we appreciate it nonetheless it's like it's like i don't know what time it 630, it's six
1: thirty-five. So. Yeah. No, so. yeah and, and i'm i'm up this early but not yeah. camera ready this early <laughs> <laughs> All right. We appreciate that. Camera, <laughs> yeah, we're never
3: camera ready here. Uh, Misha, I wanted to ask you, we, we got a request a couple of weeks or a week or so ago uh, from a West Coast trader. And um just about, you know, he wanted someone to come on the show and talk about their routine. Now, I think, you know, I know a couple of different traders out there and, you know, the market dictates really when you get up and how much, you know, research you do and the preparation. I do a lot of my preparation at night. Can you just talk about, because you, you go between New York and Arizona, is that correct? Or are you out in Arizona permanently now?
1: Actually, I live in New Mexico. New
3: Mexico. Nice. Okay. <laughs> um, Could you talk about, is your routine any different from when you're East or can you just talk about your morning routine?
1: Well, the the routine is the same. It's just I'm, you know, I'm still an East Coast girl in my heart as far as the way my body clock works. I mean, I would way prefer to be able to go to bed at midnight and get up at eight. So instead, now it's going to bed at 10 and getting up at six. But in terms of what and I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of that, but I have to do it. So my routine is pretty much the same. Like you, Joel, I do a lot of my prep work in the afternoon into the evening. So I will look from a macro perspective. I will start obviously with the indices, go to the key sectors, my economic modern family. I look at all the commodities. I look at the dollar, I look at the rates, I look at some of the international country funds. And then from there, I will look at individual stocks, particularly stocks that are looking at phases. And I do all of that pretty much the day of. Then in the morning when I get up, I check Twitter, um, I check any news. I check earnings. Uh, I check to see what everything that I had looked at the night before, where it's at. And from there, I start making notes in terms of what positions I might want to put on, if anything, or at least what I would be looking at that might swing the market one way or another. Like For example, today, we had Fed speak yesterday with Powell. We have more of that today. That could be an influencer in the market. More news on what's happening with the virus, more news what's happening with China and India now having some strife, would they necessarily influence my trading decisions? It really would depend on the technical setup, but that's kind of my basic routine. And because I run a service, I'm also communicating with my subscribers uh, every day, multiple times a day through text and email.
3: How much attention do you pay to the after hours and pre-market trading? Is it something that you'll participate in or note the price action? I know you like to do futures as well and they pretty much trade a lot around the clock. Do you use it, do you use it for execution purposes or for pro- just basic informational purposes?
1: Well, when I'm in something and I decide to hold into earnings and if it hits a target after the it reports and the market's closed, I will take a profit. Same thing in the, if I wake up in the morning before the market opens and I'm at a profit target, I will take a profit. But I will not use it for stops, for sell stops, for exiting on a loss. That I will use the U.S. market for. In terms of the futures market, I'll be interested in what happens overnight. But at this point, I really feel um, that... Just, I, I'm okay with looking at the U.S. market and not necessarily, other than I said, a gift, doing anything other than um, the U.S. market or beyond.
2: Uh, Mish, uh, since we last had you on, we've got a number of uh, new listeners, and I was wondering if you could just walk us through uh, what you mean by the modern family, because that's, <laughs> like, that's how you approach the markets. Explain uh, what, that, what that is.
1: Well, what I've done is I put together six, six different groups. One is an index, which is the Russell 2000, which I consider the granddaddy of the economic modern family of the four indices. The uh, Russell 2000 or the small cap stocks are really where you see the best sign of the manufacturing end, or really what I would even like to say the supply end in the United States and the economy. And then I have five sectors after that, so I use retail, uh, who I call granny, that's brick-and-mortar retail, where obviously has been under a lot of stress for a long time now, even well before the COVID-19, because that's a lot of the mall stores and the chain stores. And then from there, I go into transportation, which in essence would be the demand side. So how fast, how robust is our goods moving? And then I use after that biotechnology, because that is not only highly speculative, but it Acts as a cyclical and a non cyclical in terms of the economy. You know, it goes up obviously in a good economy, but it can go up when the economy is not doing well, which we've seen evidence throughout this whole virus. Semiconductors, which have been hot for so long because tech is another area that's done well even before the virus, has continued to outperform with the virus because of this new stay at home. So my modern family's been around for years, but they only proved to be better and better through every sea change that we see. And then finally, there's regional banks. And I include the regional banks in there because it gives me a breath of the financial sector, not of the big banks, but of the more rural areas and how robust money is moving how more robust people are using money to borrow for home improvement businesses etc
2: that's interesting um i'm wondering what you've seen in that area in the past few months because uh, as we've seen and i've written about this uh, a lot of people had a hard time getting ppp loans from the big banks and uh the community banks smaller banks did pretty well for themselves Uh, in this regard. So I'm wondering what you've seen in that area right now.
1: Well, again, that has been a market lagger. And one of the things about the original banks I came to learn was when we had the uh, whole oil glut nowhere to go and the oil went down close to zero, regional banks got hammered and we was the first group to get hammered even before we saw the home market decline in February, March. And so it actually is very much tied to oil money. And then when I thought about it, it made sense because I live in New Mexico, as I mentioned, which is a big oil and gas state. And so a lot of the rural banks hold the money for oil and gas or people that actually work in the oil and gas industry. And so that's a little bit of a thing that I didn't even know about when I put together my economic modern family. But you're right, there has been a turn to some of the banks, the regional banks. But right now, if you look at the NASDAQ, let's say in tech, compared to what regional banks are doing, there's still a tremendous amount of concern here. So this is what's making the market really, really tough to navigate right here.
2: Uh, Mish, this is interesting. So uh, one of the listeners from our chat, this is a little bit off topic, but he said he he coincidentally stumbled upon you uh, or a video that you did over the weekend, I guess, uh, or or last week. uh, And he wanted to know uh, just how often you put out free content and also where most of your content is.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, actually, yes, what he's referring to is Stock Charts TV. I've been doing a weekly half an hour show for them uh, where I have exactly 29 and a half minutes to go through whatever it is I want to go through and as far as I know I will be continuing to do that and actually doing a little bit more for them but I also write a daily blog Mrs. Market Minute and that goes up on Twitter it goes up on LinkedIn Facebook it's on our website marketgage.com and I'm extremely uh, active on Twitter so if you uh, who's ever asking this question really wants to ask me a, a question directly just go at market minute on twitter i'm there you know you asked about after hours uh, you know i'm one of these people that checks it you know well into the night and then you know first thing in the morning and if i have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night i try not to but i might so what i'm saying is i'm available
2: uh, all right uh, <laughs> uh, so another question from our chat here mish about your favorite trading setups
1: ah this is an excellent question Well, my favorite trading setups really basically come from, is it in line with what the overall market is doing? And if it's not, and if it's going counter, there better be some kind of good reason for that. Then what I will look at is the phase. I wrote a whole book on this called Plant Your Money Tree, A Guide to Growing Your Wealth, which is about these six phases. And so I will look at to see what something is phase it's in, how long it's been in that phase, or if it's actually about to change phase, which if that's happening is the most explosive time really to get into a stock. Uh, And then from there, I'll take it down to where the pivots are. So in other words, I look at floor trader pivots, which are midpoint pivots. And I look to see if they're positive or negative based on where they were the day before. And then finally, I'll use an opening range. And that's really comes from our days on the floor. Joel, we love to talk about the floor. Because on the floor, the markets would open month by month And then it would reopen. So that really got us to developing the whole idea of this opening range, which could be a two minute when something gaps, it could be a five minute if something is also gapping, but you want to give it a little more time because it's not say, a breakaway gap, or typically a 30 minute opening range. So if all that lines up, phase is good or not good, and I want to go short, it has a 30 minute OR breakout or breakdown, the pivots are lined up, etc. It's in a sector that aligns, the overall macro is not in a situation where the market's going to crash, then I feel very comfortable going in. Of course, I always have my risk in advance, knowing how much money I'm going to lose. And the most Important thing is the position sizing as well. Me, Me
3: Schneider here, market gauge joining us here on Ben Zinger's pre-market prep show. So great to hear your your happy and cheery voice. Uh, just going <laughs> back to going back to the commodities here. I I think everyone's sick and tired of me uh, talking about the rollover here um, in the futures. You've been around for a long time. You see. A lot of times on these quad wedge expirations, you see major turning points, major highs, or major lows. Uh, just talk about your trading style during a, a rollover, and any tips you may have for uh, traders or investors.
1: Well, everything changes constantly. Like for example, in in some rollovers, like in the rollover that we had in the beginning of this year being in interest rates and being in gold uh, was smart and being in miners. Um, And then in the most recent rollover, everything liquidated. So in terms of the futures, what I'm really looking for now at this point is bottoming action in the soft commodities particularly the food commodities if I had to give any kind of focus that's really where I'm focused so I'm looking at soybeans and corn and wheat which have been struggling I have been looking at sugar which is basing Uh, I've been you know obviously in and out of gold uh, so many times over the course of the last several years and we still have a core position in gold so as far as I'm concerned commodities is still the best opportunity we've got going into the second half of not only 2020, but as we go into 2021, because the ratio between equities and stocks is still, I mean, equities, sorry, not equities and stocks, equities and commodities is still at historical lows. And this is not sustainable, mainly because of the fact of the Fed and the helicopter money and the money supply and the debt and the world demand that is increasing for basic raw materials and supply chain disruptions, etc. So yeah, so the rollovers might be more from a day to day or a week to week or even a season to season, but for over a long course of time, really focus on that. And I just want to say, Dennis, you mentioned two stocks, <laughs> space. I went on Real Vision and I said that space was a pick of mine. And of course, you know, it's always a technical setup, right? You know, and you said that you had a core and you were holding. I actually agree with you. I think that space, if you keep watching it, obviously it'll move with the market. But that's something that will that is very much a focus. We had a position we got out. I'm looking to reestablish it.
4: What do you like about the technicals about it?
1: Uh, well, it's holding that 200 day moving average like a rock mm-hmm. now you know, it's not, hasn't moved up from the 200 day moving average, but remember we just talked about phases. So the 50 day moving average is up at around 1680. I'm not saying you necessarily have to wait that long, but I'm kind of with you. I don't think we're going to see this go down much below where it was uh, around that 1450 level. And I would like to see this You know, maybe get back over 16 today and that might get me in for a starter position. So I'm with you on that. And I live in New Mexico, by the way. Spaceport is in New Mexico, right? So watch these launches. Exactly. We've actually we've gone down there and it's it's fascinating, really. Uh, And the other one you mentioned was Kroger. Right. And, yeah, and I kind of like Kroger too because I've, it's been choppy as all heck. I mean, it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. But it is up two percent in the pre-market here today, and it's starting again that fifty-day moving average. It's been up and down, up and down. But right now, it's going to hold it and gap a little bit above that in the ten-day moving average, which is nearer term. I st- I'm still into that too, so I'll be watching both of those stocks. Reports today.
4: earnings, I believe, tomorrow. is it tonight? It's tomorrow. Tomorrow.
1: uh well, I probably will wait then till after so
4: earnings. Kroger's earnings are coming. Sometimes you see this little run up ahead of the earnings, so it's not surprising. But um, uh, it, it'll it, this is stock's been range bound for a long time. I mean, oh, it has thirty one so, to thirty four.
1: Exactly, but I think you know I still think that a if we get any kind of scare and people start shopping like crazy again, you know I have a, we have a Kroger's right here in in uh, Santa Fe. Um, I think that could help it. I I think they've done a really good job of navigating uh, as far as the virus goes. And I just like the stock. I like the company. I like what they've done with being able to order online, to have a delivery service, et cetera. So you picked two that I like, Dennis. (laughs) One Um, more, okay.
2: Joe, we got a lot of questions flying. Joe, go (laughs) for it.
3: I just wanted to know how much crude you bought at negative forty in the (laughs) mid.
1: Well, I did write a blog. Speaking of (laughs) blogs, that this is the opportunity of a lifetime to buy oil down there, and so negatively. Oh my God! I mean, yes, that was just insanely cheap (laughs) and and ridiculous and unsustainable. Um, But now, you know, I think actually, I'm still more on the positive side to oil? Long term, no. I mean, I actually really would like to see the world get away from oil and go more towards alternative energy. I mean, this is why Musk is, you know, still Musk, man, you know, might be crazy as a loon, but he's, guy's a genius. He sees the future. Um, But right now I'm looking at, if we looked at USL, which I've been looking at more than USO, um, which is still a United States oil fund, just on the basis of that, if we clear 15, I think we could at least go up a couple of bucks, maybe three from there. I, I And I think you have a pretty limited risk, um, really about a dollar. And, what, is the,
2: uh, what is the difference between USL and USO?
1: I think right now, uh, during the whole decline, uh, USL just proved to be less volatile. That was one of the reasons why I liked it. It doesn't have nearly as much volume um, as USO does. It has An average volume of about five hundred thousand a day. USO. The chart looks very similar, but USO is not as strong. If you look at the USO chart, it is. It just yesterday. Oh,
2: I see. Okay, yeah. so so USL spreads out their their allocation over twelve months, and and USO didn't do that, and now they have.
4: Started but now they're doing it, so they're similar anyways.
1: Right, yeah. and it's split seven times, and you know you have a whole contango issue. USL just seems to be a little bit smoother to me, so that's why even though the volume uh, USO is over eleven million, and this is a you know a half a million, but that doesn't necessarily bother me at this point, and it's ticking up here a little bit in the pre market um it's 1448 bid 1455 it's got to get through that 15 though i think and then you know there you go oil will continue to go up which will be positive for the market Uh, we'll see i mean you know who knows at this point it hasn't gone up with the market it just stabilized if it starts to go up with the market then we may have more inflation concerns that's my other thing i'm watching is stagflation
2: all right, uh, a lot of fans in the chat uh, for Mish Schneider. She is the Director of Printing Education and Research at Market Gage. We've mentioned her Twitter today is at Market Minute. Uh, Mish, thank you so much, as always. We got a lot of positive feedback. we we'll would have to get you back soon, but uh, thanks for getting up early with us. We appreciate it.
1: Yes, thanks, guys. Um, I'd love to come back, so anytime. Right. Thank you for thanks, having Mitch. me. All right, All right bye, Joe. Bye, Spence. Bye, Danny.
2: All right, oh, cut her off there. Uh, bye. bye. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> <laughs> Well, all right, let's go back to Kroger here for just a second.
4: Um, we, this came up on the pre- Should we go into the Kroger discussion or not? <laughs> I'm scared now. <laughs> no, no, don't be scared. Why so are you scared? This came up it on does, the- pre- you've never
3: been scared in your life.
2: <laughs>
3: so that, one, that one time I yelled at you uh, when you came in the office really hungover at 929 and you expected to trade that day. That's yeah,
4: no. no i often t- i often came into the office back when i was 22 years old at like 11 o'clock remember I'd come in, <laughs> it was a rough night <laughs> and i'd come into the office back in your year just after university days and i'd be like oh the afternoon just here everybody can go home <laughs> joel, joel would give me heat joel gave me a lot of heat in my younger days that's why i give him heat now because he gave me all kinds of heat when i was 22 <laughs> he'd have I, to anyways, kick my ass all <laughs> over the place
2: Paint it forward all right so this came up on the pre pre market show. We were talking about this, yeah. stuff, uh, and I I, I think it, it may have been Joel, maybe me. I think it was Joel who said, "Why is why is Cobra up this morning?" Um, didn't
4: see a headline. Dennis, you I you knew. knew why you knew why it was up. All right, right away. Fast Money. Uh, Michael Ka- Co. Um, it's Michael Co. Had um, he does a segment pretty much nightly on Fast Money, where it's um, he's looking at you know. Uh, options. He's looking at big options purchases or option sales and looking at the puts and calls and trying to, you know, and usually they do the stocks that are coming up on earnings. So he's trying to, you know, look at them and say that potentially somebody knows something. So last night he highlighted a big option buyer in Kroger. And it's crazy how, you know, people who say retail can't drive stocks, the stock was trading flat and it blasted off to like 33 and a half. Um, This is Kroger. It's a grocery store from 32 and a half to 33 and a half because somebody saw something in the options. So it's ridiculous. I mean, the move today, I feel like is ridiculous because it's all just off of somebody saw an option buyer. Um, there's option buyers and sellers all the time. With that being said, you do have a catalyst. The earnings are coming up. Full disclosure, I do have an overnight short position. Kroger, I was baiting that move last night. I will cover this at the open. So this isn't a long-term trade. I agree with Misha. I actually don't mind the chart long-term here. Um, it all is going to depend on the earnings, um, but you know I kind of like Kroger um, from a long-term perspective. But short-term, Kroger goes up a buck because somebody sees an option buyer. I shorted it. I I don't think it I don't think it's justified move. So we'll see what happens. It's it's holding up very well today. I'm actually surprised it's still holding up as well as it is. We'll see what happens after the open. But my point being, and I want to make this point as well, is Michael Coe pointed out. I think I'm saying his name right. Am I? Am I not? Co? Is it Co or Cow? Co. Uh, okay. I don't know. Michael I Co. Thought it was So, so he points. Michael. He pointed out two weeks ago. He pointed out a big options purchase, and I think I, I want to say I, I don't remember which stock it was, uh, but it doesn't matter. The point was he pointed out. He does a whole segment on this big uh, put buyer that he noticed in the market, and then they throw it to Karen. Finerman. And they're like, what, what are your thoughts on this, you know, on this big option put buyer? And she's like, I don't think this has ever happened before, but she's like, that was me. She's like, that was my, my put, that was me. That was actually my orders. Cause Karen's, you know, a hedge fund manager, She's got big, big orders. She's like, those were my puts that I bought. And she's like, the reason I bought puts is because earnings is coming up and I'm nervous to go into it, but I want to stay long the stock. She says I'm still bullish the stock, but you know, I bought some puts to hedge myself. So here, Michael Coe just highlighted a whole thing on how somebody might know something and they're taking a speculative bet into the earnings. And that was proven wrong 10 seconds later when Karen Feinerman came on and said, this was just a hedging and she's actually bullish stock. So what my point being, it's like trying to find a needle in a haystack by looking at options activity and saying, oh, this person knows something or this person knows something. This is the second time I've seen this happen because about two years ago on CNBC, um, so they were pointing out, again, a big, it was a big call buyer or a big, it was, it was some type of options trade. And my buddy, Chris, who's a very big trader, manages a lot of money, texts me and says, Denny, you won't believe this. They just pointed out my options trade on CNBC. And it was a hedge. I'm like, I don't know anything. I don't know. It was a pure hedge. I needed to hedge myself into the report. So again, here's a second time that was obvious that they pointed out an options, uh, options activity that was completely just, it it was just a hedging uh, activity. So how you can determine which options buys and which options sells are hedges and which are actually speculators or which are potentially inside information that they know something is very difficult to do. Again, if you do these strategies and you make money doing it, by all means, continue to do it. I know the Nigerians have been very well at doing this over the years. So, you know, if you can do it, that's fantastic. But I've tried this stuff before. It's very difficult. I don't know how you determine which, which are the good ones and which are the bad ones. So like which ones, you know, potentially are just hedging. I don't know. I think most of it's just hedging activity, a lot of it. So when you see these big option buys, there's big funds out there that don't want to go naked long through a report. So they hedge themselves. So, you know, pointing them out, we don't know. It's not designated hedge or speculative or insider buy. It's just, um, it's just speculation on, you know, and, and the segments attract viewers, uh, but I don't think there's that much, you know, I think it's very difficult to make money following options activity. That's just my thoughts. I might be wrong, maybe, and like I said, by all means, if you do it, continue to do it, but it's hard to determine what's hedging and what's actually somebody who might know something. All right, there it is. Uh,
2: we got it under the wire so good job Dennis it's yeah just-
4: that's just my thoughts I mean I'm, yeah. this is my opinion so obviously you know like I've said before there's some people who maybe do this stuff and they do really well with it um, I don't know how they do it the- so I don't know how they can determine it and you know Michael Co pointing out an options it's kind of it was, it was this hilarious segment from two weeks ago and Karen's like that was my hedge you he pointed out that you know something uh, this, this put buyer might know something it's like no just a hedge <laughs> and I, I'm a, he must be like
2: Hmm. <laughs> uh, so the, anyways the, the eagle-eyed viewers in the pre-market com chat know that that was lululemon they were talking about it was
4: lululemon so. that was the, the one of the funniest segments i've ever seen so and it just proved my theory that most of this is just hedging activity that you're pointing out you keep pointing out these uh, options you know and and some people may be really good at like i've said before the Nigerians have obviously done this very well you know they've got books about this stuff. They, you know, or do this stuff. You know, and, and maybe they've got some different edges with it. I've never explored it deep enough to say it just flat out doesn't work. I'm just saying it's probably very difficult for you if you're just starting trading just jump in and say, oh, I see a big options buyer, to determine that yeah, this is potentially somebody that knows something. I'm going to get long the stock because they know something. Very difficult to do. Yeah.
2: All right. Uh, I'll wrap it up here. I'll pull up a watch list I made on Benzinga Pro The stocks we talked about on this show this morning at some length. If you want to keep them on your radar for today, I'm sure Joel and I will discuss a few of them at our closing show on 3 at 340. I want to thank our guest, Me Schneider. Thanks to all of you in our chat for a free trial and subsequent discount to Benzinga Pro. Click on the link in the description of this video on YouTube. Also, don't forget to subscribe uh, and like our videos while you're there. That helps us out with their algorithm. You can always catch a replay of this show on our podcast or just re-watching the show on YouTube. The podcast is available pretty much on every major podcast platform, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, shoot us an email for, if you have any feedback, premarket at benzinga.com. And the last thing, please remember that all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes and not for investing or trading advice. Everyone have a great rest of your Wednesday. Joel and I will be back at 3.40. Until then, stay safe and good luck out there. These are tricky markets.